Hello and welcome to ArtsLink on CJSW 90.9 FM, broadcasting out of the University of Calgary campus and broadcasting from Treaty 7 land. My name is Nathan and on the show this month I'm going to bring to you a little special on Jerry Samuels aka Napoleon XIV who died this past month as well as a couple of updates from the Black Film Archive which are going to be continuing covering uh, throughout the year. Now first off is my co-host Jenny Kwong with her interview with an artist currently being featured at The New Gallery. Hi, my name is Jenny Kwong for Earthlink on CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary. Today, I'm speaking with Kiona Kalihu Lightfoot to talk about her new exhibit at the New Gallery. So welcome, Kiona. Thank you. And so I guess uh, tell me how did this exhibit start? Uh, what was the process of creating creating the paintings for this exhibition? Absolutely. Um, I started preparing for this exhibition a few years ago before uh, the pandemic started, and it was pushed a little bit to now, which I'm very thankful for because it gave me a lot of time to really think about what I wanted to do. So uh, my practice is really related to my family and my relatives. So the process leading up to the show was a lot of visiting with them, talking with them, uh, looking at memories together of where we all grew up in a multi-generational uh, home and um, talking about the land and where all of our memories overlap. And then from there, um, I usually do like drawings, things like that, that inform painted works and the painted works are what are in the show at the new gallery. And so I guess uh, um, you have... Um... I guess a a surreal look to your paintings. They all have a similar color and tone to them, the pink color. And so what was it about that that you wanted to like showcase in your work? I like when it feels a little bit like a memory or kind of dreamy. So I guess that's a real feeling that you're talking about. Yeah. But it's mostly informed by like the prairie lighting of when the winter is coming to end and spring is popping up. And the pinks and the light blues and the purples that start sprouting from the sky, but also from uh, the land itself. And so I take those colors and I like to put them um, put them into the paintings for that. But also my mushroom house uh, has this palette. And because I create so much from memories of home, it's comforting for me to bring familiar colors into the works that remind me of my family. And so uh, what is it about the, uh, I guess, the home that you're trying to convey to um, observers of your work, I guess? Mm. I, I mean, the home is, uh, it, it's a piece of uh, land script. So uh, where I descend from, Michelle Band was uh, enfranchised. And then in return for enfranchisement, uh, families were able to receive Script in the form, and then we're able to receive script in the form of land or uh, financial compensation, like a, a very small amount. Um, so that uh, that land and that home that I grew up on is the last bit of what used to be reserved land for Michelle Band. So it's really important to me and my family. And uh, like I said, like many of us, like grew up there at different times. 
And um, I think it's special to be able to work alongside them and uh, create artwork that's based on remembering this place as opposed to uh, maybe what's found in colonial archives of it. So just a a more uh, self-compassionate and uh, caring record of how we want to remember that land, how we want to see those memories and feel held by them. And so um, I guess uh, uh, when you walk into the um, gallery space, um, you're directed to the painting at the in the back corner, and you you're moving um, from uh, clockwise around the room. And so, what was it like to like, I guess. Um, Think about how you're showing the paintings in the space that you're in. Mm. I think the big deciding factor is that I really wanted a teal wall because in the farmhouse I grew up in, the walls are teal upstairs, and so I wanted I wanted that wall there. And um, then from there, I just kind of used the colors to map everything out. So the things that had a bit more teal were arranged uh, with the teal wall, and then as it got as the paintings got a little pinker the uh move more towards the gallery door away from the teal wall but um yeah it, it was also just like uh, i I, had, I hadn't been in the space in person before so uh it was a lot of uh shuffling uh paintings around to see what looked best and what felt best and what gave everything the space it needed to be the kind of work that i wanted it to be uh, talk about like the quiet moments on the land and how you were able to capture these, um, I guess, private moments and in 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 a, in an artful way, I guess. I'm not sure how to describe it. Yeah. No, that's perfect. Yeah. Um, a lot of my a lot of my work is based in not not wanting to. Um, exploit things that feel like intimate or private um so when I make work about those uh quiet moments it's not as much about like showing everything that's happening at that time but more more just giving like a sense of a feeling so um yeah like looking at the body language of of the way that hands are resting uh looking at like the season or like the temperature or the lighting of the land so that uh, viewers can feel a little bit more reassured and like they're like easing into the space with me without me having to sacrifice any um, really like personal details about uh, myself or my family or um, the things that we keep with us. But it's still like, I hope it's still (laughs) relatable to viewers. Yeah. And, and I guess, um, the dream quality is in, I guess, somehow being connected to the land and being comfortable in that space where you can, um, uh, I guess, express through the body of what you're trying to convey memories, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, is I, I'm especially talking about the large uh, portrait that you have as part of the ex- uh, collection, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, what was the um, what was the question? Sorry, uh, um, I guess um, how were were you to um, 
observe the places around you and to experience um i guess the to convey the sense of um connectedness i guess mm-hmm. um i did so many visits home like to this place that the artworks about and uh, spent a lot of time there and that's been constant through uh through my whole life like before i started doing artwork and stuff too so i think it's something that i hold like very closely with me um and i know i'm not alone in that for people who share that space so it it feels really um i think it feels really like natural and part of me to bring bring what that like land and what that space is like through that connection into artwork especially because i live in the city now uh, like and the land is west of Edmonton. Um, I miss it a lot. So being able to remember it and feel connected to it in these ways when uh, when there's distance between visits uh, is really important to me. Okay. And so um, um, are you working on new projects and new paintings at the moment? I am. I am. Um, I have a studio, so I'm just working on growing my body of work and exploring a lot of the stories that I'm really excited about. Um, yeah. Uh, have you uh, shown uh, your pieces elsewhere? Um, uh, because um, I'm thinking it took uh, time for you to create all uh, six pieces to go into this uh exhibit i guess mm-hmm. yeah i have shown elsewhere uh, i've shown uh, at a few galleries in edmonton as well as in regina and uh, recently did a residency in newfoundland so um yeah yeah they've definitely traveled around a bit a lot of the paintings in this show are new but there's a couple that i had shown previously in edmonton um yeah. <laughs> what is it about your art practice you want to um, develop further? I think just um, I think that I'm I think I'm always gonna make art about the same like ideas and memories and connections to my relatives and to uh, this very special place. But I would like to grow a bit more technically as a painter. Um, and just keep finding like what feels good for me when I'm at the canvas. And uh, yeah, I think that's something that I'm hoping over the next while I have some more space to dedicate myself to. All right. So again, thank you very much uh, for your time today. And uh, anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up? No, but thank you for having me. All right. Thank you and for your time, and I'll hopefully uh, talk to you again sometime. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Hi, my name is Jenny Kwong for ArtsLink on CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary. That was my interview with Kiona Kalahook Lightfoot, a Cree Métis artist, about her exhibit. It's called And in Spring We'll Wait for Lilacs. It is at the New Gallery. The exhibit runs from March 10th to April 22nd, and the address is 208 Center Street South. You're listening to ArtsLink on CGSW 90.9 FM.
So for my section on the show this month, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about the Black Film Archive at blackfilmarchive.com. The World, the Flesh, and the Devil, starring Harry Belafonte, Inger Stevens, and Mel Ferrer from 1959, is an end-of-the-world, last-man-on-earth kind of stuff. We've covered this on uh, ArtsLink before, but uh, not this particular film, and it has a strange sort of history that I want to bring up, as well as a couple of really great um, sound bites that hopefully will entice you into watching the film. So what we have here is an unusual adaptation from two different sources of books, uh, so one being uh, The Purple Cloud and the other being The End of the World. Strangely enough, the film from 2015 called uh, Z for Zachariah is basically a remake of this film, The World, the Flesh, and the Devil, only strangely it has the title of the Robert C. O'Brien um, book called Z for Zachariah. Robert C. O'Brien wrote Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, also turned into that very unusual Don Bluth um, film called The Secret of Nim. Anyway, Belafonte's character, Ralph, is one of the luckiest human beings on Earth because he happens to be trapped in a mine collapse while the apocalypse happens above him. Here's a clip where he's encouraging his rescue team to uh, dig that sounds a lot like it might if a, uh, a band leader was encouraging his bandmates uh, during certain sections of a song. Here we are. Dig in, old grizzly. Give me that tonnage, old bear. I don't like it, I don't like it, I don't like it here, I don't like I don't like it, I don't like it, I don't like it here. You wouldn't like it, nobody likes it, nobody likes it here. Food's got moldy, I've got oldies. <laughs> Who's got oldie? I got. <laughs> Who's got moldy? I got oldie. Nobody likes it here. Voices echoing. Clocks are falling. I don't like it here. I... Hey, the lights! Something's wrong with the lights! While there are some great scenes of Harry Belafonte in ex exploring an abandoned New York, including Times Square, once uh, Inger Stevens and then Mel Ferrer show up, it becomes a little bit of an overwrought love triangle uh, that depends on uh, its happy ending being inspired by uh, the UN, of all things. Anyhow, it is what it is, and I found it to be rather enjoyable for its world building. Um, I would actually honestly recommend the sci-fi film called The Quiet Earth from the 1980s over this film if you're looking for that kind of last people on Earth, um, you know, love triangle and messy interpersonal dynamics. Uh, what I do also want to play for you is this uh, rather fascinating clip of uh, Ralph coming across the... Um, you know, the part that's going to uh, fit the pieces together for what exactly happened while he was trapped in the mine, only to emerge to a completely desolate earth. Go ahead. Now listen, we lost London an hour ago. Are you getting this? Yes, yes, go ahead. We lost London an hour ago. He said he had the blisters yesterday. I got them now. This is from Piccadilly, the last I got. No use now. This is the end. 
White House staff from New York. No, get off. Just turn it off. White House staff from New York. You two, Rio. Eddie, is Rio on the circuit? I have to get the record. Okay, White House staff, New York. Near the end now. We're sick here. There were 20 of us this morning, about five now. San Francisco went off last night and Chicago right after. Nothing left alive between here and there. We're losing power. Power off in New York. We're going to emergency generators, switching over. White House staff, this is full report, probably final. Rio de Janeiro just getting first clouds of isotope dust. One information well, regarding. The resurrection and the life sentence. Oh, believe in me. Somebody on really The White House staff's not answering. Now hold it. I'm losing it. They're off, anyway. It's gone now. Keep going, keep going. I'll try again. Rio, this is New York. It began seven days ago when the walkout from the United Nations started. It is still not known what nation started using radioactive sodium isotope. Tons of radioactive dust released into upper atmosphere, circling the Earth's sodium isotope. Half-life, 53 hours, deadly for about five days. No defense against it. Three days ago, first clouds of dust reached the United States, now in New York. The city is completely evacuated now, but no use to run. It's everywhere now, everywhere in the world. Last official act of the United Nations was to order all nations to reconvene. Too late, no place to go. Forget and it. Nobody Forget to... it. The White House staff is off circuits open. No answer. Rio's on, but closing. What do I do? Go on. You're talking to yourself, that's all. Get off, go home or something. <laughs> all these years. L listen, what do I do about the equipment here? The generator room is still operating. Do I leave it or what, Frank? Frank, anybody there? Anybody? Just me. I'm here. That's The World, The Flesh, and The Devil, from 1959, starring Harry Belafonte, Inger Stevens, and Mel Ferrer. If you go to the Arts Link section of the CGSW website, we're going to have a link up for where you can watch this film. From 1972 comes the only fiction effort from writer, director, producer, and star Christopher St. John. Top of the heap. Man, was this a weird movie. Um... What I would first like to say is that uh, upon researching, it seems that this one is somewhat of a uh, rediscovered gem. When it was released, it was doing pretty well at con, but had a lot of interference from the distributors, who in fact wanted the um, dream sequences, uh, this is a very Walter Mitty-like film, only it's extremely dark, uh, removed. So this story is essentially about a cop, uh, George, who is played by Christopher St. John, the writer, director, and star. And uh, he is um, he's basically going mad uh, with uh, his life, with despair of the death of his mother, and uh, dealing with uh, racism day in and day out while he wears the cop uniform. He has these spectacular flights of fancy that are incredibly detailed about um, being the first black astronaut on the moon, which becomes very weird over time. We're not exactly sure if this is a uh, um, a staged moon event. There seems to be some sort of like conspiracies going on during this. And all the while, uh, he's interacting with these very, very weird other dream sequences that have to do with uh, the death of his mother. So Christopher St. John should have made more films. Uh, I found this to be fascinating in that uh, really he surrounds himself with um, MVPs. George Latimer himself is such an unpleasant character and he's basically just like growling at, or yelling at the world at every point. Um, you do want to feel, feel sorry for him, but man, it, he just is unrelentingly uh, a rage filled. So um, I would like to uh, play 
a little bit of an audio bit from uh, one of the MVPs in this film. Uh, it's when he uh, goes to visit one of his uh, old partners, or I guess, uh, you know, uh, um, an old teacher partner of his, who is now relegated to an old folks home. Uh, so here it is. What's there to do around here all day? Do, there's nothing to do. All I can do is dream. That's what happens, you know, Georgie, when you get old. Nobody gives a shit about the way you feel anymore. Yeah. Just wish I didn't have to be so scared all the time. When I was a young man, I, I wasn't afraid of anything. Hard to get used to being scared. Strange time of life, getting old, feeling useless, shriveling up, growing smaller. That's what happens, you know, you grow smaller and smaller till you're too small for your body. I wonder, I wonder what all that means. I wonder if it means anything at all. I just wish life didn't have to be so goddamned unpleasant at the end. In the end, I would say Top of the Heap is really worth your time. I don't think you'll see another film like this outside of, you know, really impressionistic, uh, you know, French art stuff. Um, and I would like to say that this has got to be one of the most 70s endings I've ever seen. Now, in doing a little bit of research, I came across a fantastic website called Every 70s Film, Every 70s Movie. And... Uh, Going through the list, I see just how many films had these like sudden super downer bummer endings. And uh, they're they're uh, really like some bad vibes to be found in a lot of the, uh, the uh, you know, writer director stuff that was going on then. You can find Top of the Heap at the Black Film Archive at blackfilmarchive.com. Well, that's it for Arts Link this month. From Jenny and me, Nathan, we'll talk to you folks again in April. Thanks for listening.